the very absolute top, you would make like $3,600 per day just from, just from passive income. Yeah. Of course, this didn't last uh, very long. But, uh, and that was probably also the time when the Genesis apes were around exactly. 500k. So you were sitting on more than a million yeah. dollar worth of NFTs yeah. divided in three NFTs. Yeah. Maybe 1.5 million, can you say that? Yeah. Just these three, and then you probably had other ones. And of course, of course you were, you were, you were selling them because, I mean, who wouldn't, <laughs> right? I mean, it's crazy. Well. <laughs> Hello and welcome to DeFire, the crypto storytelling podcast with an accent. My name is Jonas and today on the show, I have the pleasure talking to Folova. That's his Twitter handle and online persona. Fulova is a true NFT DGEN and the co-founder of Unchained, an NFT analytics platform. In this episode, Fulova shares with us how he went from doing manual labor as a chemist in a laboratory to switching careers and becoming a data scientist, and now his latest move being a JPEG trader and entrepreneur. Fulova also shares his ideas on what's happening in the NFT market and why NFT trading or crypto in general is similar to playing a video game. He also shares with us the tools he uses to spot opportunities in the NFT market early. And we also dive deeper into the CyberKongs NFT project and community where he is an active member to this day. But before we start, a word from our sponsor. CryptoValley.jobs is a job board where engineers, designers, analysts, traders and community builders can find cool crypto jobs. Full disclosure, I run this job board. So if you're looking for a job or you want to advertise an open position, please go and visit cryptovalley.jobs. And while you're there, make sure to sign up on the email lists so you're always informed when new jobs are posted on the platform. That's cryptovalley.jobs. And now let's start the show. Hello, Mark. <laughs> uh, my name is Heiko and I uh, have a question. How shall I shall address you? I mean, normally I don't say my real name on Twitter, uh, so yeah, Fulova. Welcome to the show, Fulova. Thank you so much for being on. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Who are you? Why should people listen to what you have to say? Why should people care? Right. So my name, as I said, was Fulova, and I'm currently developing a NFT analytics platform called NFT Unchained, which I co-founded with my business partner and we have been developing it since roughly November last year. Besides that, I'm active in the NFT community, flipping JPEGs and pretty active on Twitter, tweeting about interesting stuff, NFTs, crypto and often data related insights. Great. And Flora, we met a while ago here in Zurich, right? That's no secret. Are you based? No secret, yeah. And yeah, we dove a little bit into your past and I thought it's quite interesting where you came from. From what I know, you studied chemistry and what I'm super interested in, you somehow ended up doing data science for a Swiss online casino. That's right. I mean, originally I studied chemistry also in Zurich. Then I worked for some time at a Swiss pharma company doing actual research in a lab, synthesizing molecules. And then I figured out that I did not want to stay in a lab my whole life doing manual labor. It felt repetitive. 
I didn't feel like I could express my creativity that much. So that's why I decided to do another master's and I decided on economics. There I fell in love with data analytics, which is a big part of economics. One might argue it's just a subfield of data science, bit of a hot take. And there I got a little bit into coding. To get better at coding, I did this data science bootcamp in Zurich, which was a great experience, actually. I can recommend it as a very quick way if you want to change careers. So it was three months full time. It was quite expensive, to be fair, at roughly 10K. But afterwards, I immediately found a job as a data scientist at a tech startup in Zurich and worked there as a data scientist working on call center audio data. So like modeling the emotions of call center calls. And then afterwards, I moved to the online casino, where I also did data analytics of the data the online casino customers produce. Wow, interesting. I, I was not aware about the analytics of the, what were you saying? A call center. Thousands of recordings of customers calling a call center, having some kind of issue or problem. Mm -hmm. And the companies are interested in finding which agents in the call center produce like happy customers or maybe just see some summary statistics like how many calls are from angry customers. So we uh -huh. were like able to detect segments in which they were very angry. I listened to a, a lot of angry French people screaming on the phone. Interesting. But then you ended up at the Swiss online casino. Yes. And I didn't even know that you can be an online gambler in Switzerland. And when I've seen the website that, you know, you worked at, they were doing all kinds of weird games that probably the normal person doesn't even know exists online. Can you talk a little bit more about the nature of these games that you play there? Yeah, it's actually pretty recent that uh, online casinos are legal in Switzerland. I think it was summer 19 where they started giving out licenses to casinos and most games on these platforms are like slot machines just as in a land-based casino you just pull the arm on the machine and if you're lucky you make some money and the other category is like life games so you can play roulette for example and directly interact with a real person which sits often somewhere in Eastern Europe and basically executes the action you submit via a button click. So they, they then put your stuff in the roulette on the number you click and then they spin the wheel and then you get the, the payout if you win. Physically somewhere is a real casino, a real roulette table and you have like a live feed and somebody makes these moves for you and you can watch yeah. life and the roulettes are in eastern europe as you were saying yeah they are all in like eastern european countries because it's yeah much cheaper so there's like a ghost casino nobody is there just people with webcams exactly yeah crazy yeah and what is also worth mentioning it's a very regulated industry if i told people where i work they often say but yeah surely the casino cheats you in a way but Casinos have to submit all their data to the regulators every month. They check everything. It's basically blockchain data. They have to also hash everything. 
They also pay a lot of taxes, much higher tax rates than other companies to fund certain social programs. So it's a very tightly regulated industry. They also have to say what is the chance to win at each game. So they have to be very transparent. Um, okay. So we have somebody here who understands a lot about probabilities and statistics and math and machine learning. So you basically started working for pharmaceutical companies, kind of like trying to find the next cure for cancer. And now you are a DGN NFT gambler. <laughs> I mean, basically. <laughs> To be fair, I was always interested in financial markets, so this was something I always followed. Also the interplay between macroeconomics and financial markets, central banks. I was on Twitter quite early, always yeah, following all these fintweet news and getting a feel of what moves markets. Initially it was mainly stocks and FX. Then I gradually moved into crypto like 2016 i just recently checked what was my first crypto tweet and it was from 2016 where i tweeted about the dow not sure if you uh -huh. are familiar yeah i am this one i lost money in the dow <laughs> you put the ETH in the dow exactly yeah exactly okay and yeah this was if i remember correctly my or one of the first crypto investments i did and yeah instantly getting rug pulled, I guess, more or less. <laughs> well, you got the money back. I have a full episode only about this moment. Yeah, it's fascinating. I had no idea about the crypto ecosystem at the time. I was using a wallet on my desktop. This was pre-MetaMask, right? Mm -hmm. Like so. The Mist, the Mist wallet. I don't remember, yeah. So basically I forgot about it, right? I thought, okay, this money's gone. Sure, let's move on. But then the following year, I saw somewhere that you actually could claim the ETH you had deposited because, as I think your listeners know, they did this hard fork of ETH and recovered the stolen funds, basically. It was a painful process trying to recover my funds from this wallet, but in the end I managed and it was a pleasant surprise because 2017 uh, was like one of the most epic bull runs in crypto history. And this is when I kind of came back to crypto, but I sold everything at the end of 2017 just because I didn't know how to correctly put it in my taxes. So I just thought, okay, let's just sell it so I don't have any crypto at the end of the year. Wow, that was perfect timing, right? I mean, end of 17 was basically the peak. More or less, yeah. Some alts, I think, pumped into the following year, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, I was just lucky. Yeah. So I sold basically more or less the top. And then after seeing the extreme declines in the following quarters, I checked out again of crypto thinking, okay, like all these tokens were hot air at the time. If we're being honest, right? It was just not that interesting at the time. But jumping forward to 2020 during COVID, I just saw the extreme volatility in the financial markets. And so I thought now might be a time to get back in, to play around a bit. Do you remember when was the first time that you took NFTs seriously? Which projects are we talking about? Yeah, from a very fundamental level, I thought just being able to store or represent any intellectual property on chain and make it easily tradable, just this concept basically had me sold. There's so much 
potential for this, right? You have music, art, you have even like a house, right? Or anything. So it could be just a certificate that represents a real world item. It could be, I don't know, whiskey bottles, anything. I saw also that people can easily relate to it. NFTs brought in so many new people compared to DeFi, because DeFi is quite technical. It's not that cool or interesting, but if you have a nice picture, that's very accessible and easy to, people get it. Okay, it's art, but it's digital art and you can trade it. But but what was then the first NFT you bought? Trying to remember, I think it was like something very stupid and rareable. I did several buying sprees, like the first big buying spree where actually I think I put like uh, 50k or something in NFTs was in the spring of 21 and I basically just went on OpenSea, checked the collections that were in the top 10 and just randomly picked some NFTs and bought them. So that was my very sophisticated first uh, (laughs) buying strategy. Wait a second, but how did you, like what was your thinking? When you when you're buying 50k worth of NFTs, because that's for normal people quite a lot of money. I my guess is you wanted to make money with NFTs. Like you wanted to buy them cheap and then you wanted to sell. Hopefully one of you know some of them blow up and you wanted to sell them. Was that the motivation or was there something else going on? One part is always for me to learn stuff through investing because if you are invested in something you actually care about it right you actually have some skin in the game and you're forced to learn about it you just naturally are more inclined you know going through the motions of buying and selling you learn how it works you gain experience you see which nfts do well okay why did they do well sure i was just still hoping that they would go up but it was mostly just to you know learn was like one big part and Going back to your your question, what was the first NFTs? I was lucky that I bought two CyberKongs Genesis in March 21. This was one of the lucky picks, but I also bought some that went to zero afterwards. So how did they perform price-wise? When did you buy them and how much were they worth at the peak and maybe how much are they worth right now? Did you sell, did you hold? The Cyberkongs were the craziest ones. I bought them for like one or two ETH at the time and they peaked out around 150 ETH. I think there were one or two sales even above 200. The absolute peak was like 500k per Cyberkong at Genesis. So the Genesis, how many are there? Do you have an idea? So Genesis is like 1000 supplies. So this was the first collection of of Cyberkongs. And then later, like Bored Apes, they dropped all these companion collections. So then came the Cyberkongs Babies and then the Cyberkongs VX, so the 3D models. And now they are dropping items you will be able to wear on your VX. So like weapons or armor or stuff like that. And at the time, these thousand, each one of them was around $500,000. At the very peak, yeah. The market cap was insane. Half a billion dollars. Exactly. 
Yeah. That's crazy. And, and you know what? Like a lot of people didn't even hear about cyberpunks. How were they positioned at the time compared to these other in, you know, air quotes, blue chip NFTs? Yeah, there were only a handful of collections where the floor broke 500k. I think Bored Apes briefly broke it, Fidenzas, and maybe some other ones. But you ask why did Cyberpunk specifically rise so much? They were one of the first, not the first, but one of the first collections to integrate token emissions. One Cyberpunk would emit 10 banana tokens per day. So this was an ERC-20 token, which had some utilities. If you had two Genesis, you could breed a baby using 600 banana. And then you have another NFT, but which is not a Genesis, which probably has a different price. Yeah. And so basically the price of Genesis was directly tied to the price of banana, right? Because this is like a cash flow. If you work to compare it to a stock, right, you had a certain return based on the price of the banana and the amount you get. So, mm -hmm. and the price of banana, it started with a couple cents, but then it gradually increased. And at the peak, I think the, the absolute peak was like $120 for banana. So at the peak. <laughs> so every, every day you got 10 yeah. of those. Yeah. Wow. So you get 1,200 twice, 2,400 per day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just in banana. Absolutely insane. So actually I had three Genesis. I bought another one once I like researched it a bit more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so you would make at the very absolute top, you would make like $3,600 per day just from, just from passive income. Yeah. Of course, this didn't last uh, very long, but... Uh, and that was probably also the time when the Genesis apes were around exactly. 500k. So you were sitting on more than a million yeah. dollar worth of NFTs, yeah. divided in three NFTs, Yeah. maybe 1.5 million, can you say that? Yeah. Just these three, and then you probably had other ones. And of course, of course you were, you were, you were selling them, because, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't, right? I mean, it's crazy. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, in hindsight, of course, it would have been the smart thing to do. But as human psychology plays out, you, you know, think this is the new normal, right? Uh, okay, this is the future. This is the revolution. And yeah, it's very, very tough to have the self-control to, to realize now might be a good time. But and okay, I sold one like a... a when it was still like above 100k, so I, I was able to manage to cash out some. Are you are you still holding the other twos? Yeah, like I have two left. How much are they worth now? I think now it's like 30k or 40k, so yeah. One. Yeah. Okay. Considerably. Yeah. You're a very educated person. And I'm not saying this because I want to make fun of you, because I actually ex exactly know and have been in similar situations. Mm -hmm where in hindsight it's so obvious right but then when you're in in that moment probably you even tell yourself yeah yeah i'm going to sell mm -hmm. just a little bit more i see more potential and because everybody's so hyped up and that's also because the prices are so high because there is this positive sentiment yeah. and people that you follow on twitter they're kind of like mm -hmm. have ideas what else could you do with those you know like 
and ah, oh, maybe this is the new Mona Lisa, whatever. Mm. And they have like a value for a long time. This is like a cultural important moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to add a little bit, you know, color to this because now obviously it's easy to make fun of not selling, mm. but at the moment the situation looks usually very different and th there are a lot of narratives that kind of push you to hold, right? And I think one other aspect, which is very interesting specifically for NFTs is you are part of a community, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time I was spending like hours every day in the Discord of CyberKongs, especially the gated channels, right? So Wall Street Kongs was one of them. So you had to hold a CyberKong to be able to join this channel. And it was a beautiful time. It was <laughs> when, you know, all the collections that were moving were partly moving because people grouped together and you know decided which ones to pump basically so it was kind of like wall street bets in a way you know mm -hmm. like but yeah what i what i'm trying to get at is you become part of this community part of your identity i would even say and of course like on the blockchain data is public right so and if you were to sell people see it right so mm -hmm. and this might sound extreme but this can be interpreted like as a betrayal to the community right oh, because yes. you push down the price if you sell so that's another aspect i at the time was not even like that aware of that this is actually influencing my decision making right so yeah i can imagine because so, you had kind of like new friends and you were mm -hmm. yourself maybe an important member of this yeah group and I mean, until today, your cybercon is uh, your identity on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and here on the laptop, you also have a cybercon sticker. But let's quickly also go into the, you just mentioned it with the dump and pump, <laughs> or pump and dump, I think. So you're saying, because this is kind of illegal, right? Pump and dump. But what, 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 what do you mean with this kind of a group? What, what did you do? Did you say, now we all buy together this project and kind of like, artificially pump up the price was that very aware or was it more like i mean hey look here it could be a cool new project i bought some why don't you also buy some yeah i mean in the cyberkongs discord there were a lot of whales like the biggest of them all is of course coco coco bear shout out to coco bear <laughs> i have no idea the, was he a cyberkong whale or was he a eve whale or what, what kind of whale i mean he was very early to Axie Infinity, so he made a ridiculous amount through that, being like very early. And then he was very early to CyberKongs as well, and so he had like 50 or 100 Genesis, so he <laughs> had oh. this insane income from Banana. And, you know, like NFTs are so volatile, it doesn't take that much ETH to move the price. And if you only have like five, ten whales, and they all kind of follow each other. It's not, I would say, a pump and dump per se, but the effect is that they can, you know, start the initial momentum, and then it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy to some extent. And yeah. And they were also big on Twitter. I, I don't know Coco Bear, for instance. Was, was that person also a person who had influence outside of this specific Discord, or...? Not really. Yeah, he's on Twitter. It's a pretty big following. And this Wall Street Kongs Discord was like an alpha group, right? If you were inside, you had access to information that at the time basically was guaranteed to make you money during the 
summer of 21 when basically all nfts went just went uh, you know 3x 10x within a couple of days it was absolutely insane and being part of this alpha group had a monetary value so the access to the channel which was the cyberkongs had also an increased value so that's probably part also of the explanation why specifically cyberkongs babies pumped so much they also went to like 50k i think and you know if cyberkongs babies pump this means bananas pump because there's also a direct relationship between 600 banana allows you to breed a baby so you mm -hmm. can take the, the price of a baby and you know calculate the corresponding banana price so and if the banana price goes up the genesis price goes up so it was all basically this uh, reflexive feedback loop at the time but this is a criticism for DeFi in general it's all very self-reflexive how can you say that so it's kind of like this big cycle, but I think it's even more extreme in this case with NFTs. How did you think about it that time when you were kind of like a little bit blinded by the easy cash, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you think about it now? I think a big part of the 21 bull market was it was a new technology. People realized the insane potential for NFTs. They were just thinking as this potential, so it should be worth X. But of course, it takes time to build out the whole ecosystem, the use cases. And I always compare it to the dot-com era. So like in the 90s, all these internet companies, Amazon and so on, like were created. And of course, you know, people realized the insane potential and the potential was realized, but it took 10, 20 years, you know. So it was very similar. So, and I think it's like with every new technology, people tend to get hyped up very much once it comes out. It gets, you know, too extreme. And then there's the retracement, the deflation of the bubble, and then it starts building up again. That's also my scenario for NFTs that it was just new technology got overhyped, and now we're in the consolidation phase. And I'm yeah, very interested to see what new use cases will come out, how it will evolve. And yeah, I'm sure it will change dramatically over the coming years. Where do you see us being at this moment? The cryptocurrency market has crashed, the NFT market has crashed and there's less volume. It's just not the same. Like everything is kind of dormant and sleeping. Narrative seems to be driving the market a lot. What are the current narratives that you see? Up to May, everything was still okay. But then once the whole Luna and then 3AC stuff came, everything nuked, uh, including NFTs, and they have not recovered yet. The global NFT volumes are still down 80 to 90% to previous levels. As you said, like narratives are super important for NFTs and also in crypto in general. And... I can only highly recommend the Substack article by Kobe on this topic. And yeah, maybe I can just quote one sentence from the article. It starts with participating in crypto markets during the thrill stages of a bull run is isomorphically more similar to playing a modern video game than it is to investing. 
Most competitive modern video games have an ever-evolving metagame. The metagame can be described as a subset of a game's basic strategy and rules, which is required to play the game at a high level. Basically, for every given period in history, there's a certain strategy, which is the winning strategy. So I myself played a lot of StarCraft in the past and whenever there's like a patch coming out, right, certain character strength are tweaked, a new best strategy crystallizes and all players move to the strategy because it's from a game theory perspective, the winning strategy. And the same kind of analogy applies to, to crypto. So one example he, Kobe, gives in the article is with the the dog coins, right? So after the initial pump of Doge, one very easy strategy would have been to just buy all the other dog coins, right? There were like hundreds. And so he quotes one trader which just constructed a portfolio of every single dog coin after the early Doge pump. And apparently he turned 15,000 into multiple million dollars with this simple strategy. So, I mean, it, it looks on first glance, it looks ridiculously stupid, right? Buying <laughs> yeah. dog coins, but you know, the initial Doge pump was the signal of a new meta starting. And, you know, the same kind of strategy can be applied to NFTs. One example that is quite similar, like early this year, there was the, the Azuki run. For people who are not familiar, Azuki is one of the biggest NFT collection and it has like a Japanese art style. And again, one very simple strategy after Azuki started moving, and I think they went from a few thousand dollars initially to like 50,000 or at the top. So again, just buying similar Japanese themed collections was the move. And there's like dozens of these examples. And it's just can be as simple as going to the OpenSea trending page, seeing if there's like a theme, you know, and then finding similar collections which fit into the same bucket mm -hmm. but but also stepping back and looking at it from a critical perspective it sounds so stupid it is <laughs> like, it is yeah i mean not not also like if somebody listens to this podcast and is not really aware of what crypto is doing and what what, what it's all about it sounds like there's just stupid degenerate gamblers pumping up coins. It doesn't seem to add any value for the economy or for society. And when you say it like this, it really, it really seems to be the case. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a valid point. I mean, DeFi, I think we all agree, has huge potential. But currently, the use case is just basically pumping or dumping coins, and especially the meme coins. I mean... You could argue it's monetizing culture. That's like one semi-sane way of looking at it. It's online communities that form and they monetize the culture through the coin. And maybe they can even use the money raised to do something useful. But in the end, it's just putting a price on culture. The same for NFTs. I think it's a very valid criticism. And the analogy 
that it's more like a video game also says this, right? It's just a game with no per se economic output. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, okay. hopefully this will eventually change and more actual business models, real world applications emerge. For me, the NFTs and DeFi are kind of different beasts. I think DeFi has built a lot of infrastructure that is working, lending, borrowing, stable coins, you know, like DAI, etc. That that is working just fine. Also now in the meltdown, we've seen basically no functioning DeFi protocol has blown up. I mean, obviously you could say Terra has blown up, but all the other ones have survived because they are built kind of soundly, right? But NFTs is kind of a different beast. How do you feel about the NFTs specifically, since they are even more disconnected from real life than than DeFi is? Yeah, that's, I guess you could argue that. And I mean, the current use case for NFTs is mainly art, right? So digital art. What is the economic value of art? It's very subjective. It's driven by culture, like NFTs are extremely dependent on on Twitter, right? And there was no price for this kind of culture, but now there is. Is it correct? Is it fair? Is it too high? Is it too low? The market decides and the price is the correct price at the given time. And I think it's interesting because it's almost like a community, as you said before with the the cyberkongs. But let's, let's see. I have voiced the criticism. I think we can check this off the list. Let's go now into what are the narratives right now? Where do you see yeah, the ball or the puck is going? Yeah, at the very moment, it's Reddit NFTs. I think it was last week or two weeks ago, Reddit went live with their integration of NFTs into their platform. and. Reddit has over 400 million users, so it was like a huge new user base that was exposed to NFTs and over 3 million new people owned an NFT for the first time, which is more than the user base on OpenSea before. It was like 2.5 million, I think, OpenSea users, so doubling the user base. And if you look on OpenSea, roughly half of the trending collections in the top 20 or top 10 are Reddit-related collections. So this is yet another example of a current meta playing out. And within, I think, one day I saw on Twitter one guy bought some of these Reddit NFTs and 10x his money. Basically, always ask yourself, like, are they rare in some dimension, right? So punks are rare in the time dimension. They were one of the first collections. Cyberpunks are rare in terms of the novelty of the breathing of the tokens. And then you can go to generative art. So which one were the first ones in this segment? Or yeah, like all these different novelties. Every one or two or three weeks, there's a new thing. And often these tend to do well because it's something new people get excited about it and it's this mini new technology cycle within the bigger new technology cycle right people get excited they cannot really yet gauge the value because it's new and then it often gets overpriced and overhyped so that's again this cycle playing in a smaller form 
again compared to the bigger nft cycle yeah so yeah just to finish this point is it as it a unique new feature is one thing i always look for and another big category in nfts is of course memes so like i think your listeners probably heard of goblins right this was one of the biggest stories for nfts this year so this free to mint collection which i think at the peak was worth over 10k per nft and this was again first it was a good meme right so you could post funny stuff on twitter about it second they were unique in terms of how they did their twitter spaces they just made weird gargling goblin sounds right (laughs) yeah and they were ugly i think that, that was also a trend to be to be fucking exactly. ugly exactly like that's you could also almost put this in its own category like it's ugly art and it's funny to see it get expensive right so it's like people get enjoyment or like yeah it's some kind of sick joy <laughs> <laughs> seeing something ugly get expensive another Examples in this category is crypto dick butts, right? They also had an insane run this year. And MFers also. It's just funny if you see a, a Bloomberg article talking about crypto dick butts, right? It's, it makes you chuckle to see this juvenile humor being displayed in the traditional media. And that's kind of the humor that is part of the NFT community, I guess. Another thing I always look for is if it's a unique new style. So like if it's new in the style dimension, so like the doodles, right? It's an example there because they had a very unique, easily recognizable style. And I mentioned this because there's so many collections coming out every day. Last time I checked the stats, it was like a thousand new collections coming out every day. So you necessarily have a lot of knockoffs, right? These ones I often stay away from. But does that mean you're still bullish on NFTs? Are you still investing? Are you still trying to catch those collections? You know, like, is that still what what your plan is right now? Yeah. Because you could also say, hey, this actually, this metagame has now changed. Now, you know, 2021 was the year of the NFT. And now we are going in a new unknown metagame. Currently, it's the bear market. That's probably the best to just not do anything. Yeah. But you're saying, no, I'm hooked. Yeah. I love NFTs. I'm, I'm trying to find my next pump, so to say. Yeah, yeah. You're addicted. Again, I think it's, at first, it's, it's fun, right? Being up to date and trading in NFTs. And, but yeah, I mean... It's, as I said earlier, it's, it's, it's much harder at the moment. So like rationally speaking, it would probably be better to be much more selective or even step out during the bear and just wait until OpenSea volume picks up again. But yeah, for me, it's just to keep learning and keep seeing the new trends. I like it. I enjoy staying in the loop. What are the top three tools that you use that people may not know? For NFT specifically, it's just the global open sea statistics, see what is trending. Then Twitter I use, that's not really a secret one, but 
for me it's a very good signal and I use it to know when to exit. Once my timeline is full of tweets about a certain collection, that's normally a warning sign because once it's everywhere, everyone's talking about it, then it's often the top or near to the top. And this just played out with Renga again, by the way. I sold my holdings a bit too early, but I saw that it was all over Twitter and it was only a couple more days and then it started retracing. And the third one, not to shill my own product, but I actually use our own platform, NFT Unchained, quite a bit and mainly the charting. So we have TradingView charts for NFTs and there I just do some very simple technical analysis to see like is there a consolidation after a pump? This is a bull flag, right? In technical analysis terms, is it very oversold or is the RSI very high at the moment? You know, like just for timing stuff and discovering interesting stuff. And maybe notable mention is Dune and Flipside. So there's tons of very good dashboards. So if you want to check like the global OpenSea volume, you can check this on Dune or Flipside. These are just a great tool for like summary statistics about the, the market. Then. Mm -hmm. And currently everybody is speaking about these new marketplaces. I mean, we have now mentioned a couple of times OpenSea. You have mentioned before LooksRare, Rarible. These were all terms that we have, we've heard. But currently a big hype, and I've also seen it on your Twitter, is for instance Blur, this new marketplace. I don't know much about it. Can you just do a, like a quick intro? Of what, are, what are we talking about here? Yeah, maybe just to set the stage, right? Like last year, OpenSea dominated all of FT volume. It was like 90% plus. The rest was punks because punks are traded on the Larva Labs marketplace directly. And then we got LuxRare, which was like the first attack, so to speak, on OpenSea. They had their airdrop which was worth like 10k i think at the time and they had all this incentive program so if you traded a lot you would get more tokens etc etc then the next one was X so, sorry, sorry to jump in what do you mean the airdrop was 10k what you received was 10k yes it depends how much you yeah you were active on OpenSea, right? Exactly. It was dependent on the volume you had for NFT trading in the last X months. Yeah. And then the next one was a pseudo swap. And this one was actually quite different because it was the first platform that allowed to do trades that did not honor the fees of the NFT itself. So like the creator fees to be specific. So and the royalty fee exactly so yeah. Ooh. and controversial very controversial yes and to be honest i myself was not even aware of this that the creator fees are actually not enforced on the smart contract level but just on the platform level on the exchange level so they could create a new marketplace where fees were not deducted and distributed to the creators and they also had a a much lower platform fee, I think only 0.5% compared to the 2.5% on OpenSea. And you know, this can make a huge difference. Like on OpenSea, certain collections have up to 10% creator fees 
plus 2.5% OpenSea fees. So you have like 10, 12% fees per trade. So like, <laughs> even if you're good at trading and you manage to buy it one ETH and sell at 1.2, I mean, that's 20%. Like in traditional markets, that's huge, right? 20%, but then deducting the fees, you get are back to zero profit. And yeah, as you said, this was very controversial. You know, like it was the whole point of NFTs that creators get these royalties and can make a living. And as you said, the latest one is now Blur. And they had their airdrop announced last week. And you could claim also, again, based on your trading volume, a certain, they call it care packages. And these care packages can be redeemed for the Blur token in January, I think. And what makes Blur different, they are much faster at retrieving and displaying listings. In certain situations, it can be very beneficial to have information first, right? It kind of gets into the realm of high frequency trading where you, you know, the, the one who is gets the information first can execute trade first and has a big advantage. So like, for example, if a certain collection was in an unrevealed state and suddenly they reveal getting the new listings or the information about what the actual trades are, is it a rare one? Is it listed too cheaply? Can actually be very important. And what is also interesting, they have, again, optional platform fees. So by default, if you list an item, it says a certain percentage for the platform, but you couldn't actually list stuff and it will have zero platform fees. And another thing maybe about Blur, I'm by no means a big NFT trader or hunter, but I remember once I participated in a Artblocks Mint. And then after the minting, and it's minting out quite quickly, like let's say you have thousands of artworks, they go on the secondary market, right? Because you are minting this on the Artblocks platform, then you can sell and trade them basically on OpenSea or whatever other platform. And I remember you are on OpenSea waiting for the, the images is not even loading and the trades like is it a rare one or not rare one is not even loading yet mm -hmm. but somehow some people very quickly identified the very rare ones and some people minted by accident the rare one just put it there they didn't even probably know yet that this is one the super rare one they just wanted to flip them and it's quite amazing how suddenly like some of the people very early have this edge over other people i don't know how they did it probably reading the data directly on the blockchain instead of waiting until it was parsed on OpenSea. But I remember that I was quite impressed that the super rare ones were gone instantly and traded quite quickly and sometimes for super low compared to what they're worth now, even after this drop. Yeah, that's yeah. free money, right? If you yeah. Yeah. can. And is that how you nowadays spend your days? What are you doing? Like, how do you make a living currently? Yeah, I mean, just continuing developing new features for Unchained and also trying to get better at using all these data tools, so like Dune and Flipside. And yeah, but yeah, just yeah, living off the money I made last year 
and yeah, some income from the company from Unchained. So let's let's dive a little bit into the because uh, I think it's interesting uh, talking also about the company, and this podcast is also interested in entrepreneurship, etc. So how many people are working at your company currently? Currently, it's just two, but we at one point had another developer helping us building the initial platform. So you and your co-founder? Yeah. Okay. And how many users do you have? Can you say that or more or less? Like So we have like between two and 300 users per day and I think we have like 30 paying customers. So we're quite a small company. What are the the features that you want to build or, 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 or what, what is the, the, the highest value or, or what is the vision of, for it? Our USP is the machine learning part. So we estimate the current fair value of an NFT given its traits and given its trading history. So our model learns, okay, if it has this rarity, these traits, and because similar NFTs sold for this and this, the fair current value is X. And if you have this current value, you can identify certain listings that are attractive, especially if it's a rare one above floor in this gray zone, in this segment where it's kind of difficult for humans to find the correct price. This is like where we have some insights to, to find good opportunities. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a collection of NFTs and some of them let's say there are thousands and the 10 of them are rare ones. Some of them are not even listed and some are listed and one of those is listed kind of really below all the other ones. Then you would say, hey, this could be an interesting opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have this screener page where we sort all the NFTs we index. I think it's like almost a million NFTs we evaluate every couple hours. So we list the ones that have like the best, you know, expected gain like listing compared to a model estimate mm -hmm. and do you usually buy all this up or <laughs> i mean i use it in combination with other insights because especially in the current environment the most alpha our model generates is for the mid-tier or higher tier in terms of rarity but of course these have less volume compared to the floor nfts so the ones that are like in the bottom 50 percent of the rarity and so at the moment it's it's tricky there's certain times when the model works better and certain times where it's trickier right mm -hmm. so you have to like find certain situations where there's good volume something is trending the chart looks good and then you can like optimize your buying strategy so yeah this is how i use it yeah. and is the platform also useful to spot early on projects that are starting to pick up yeah i mean we have these very basic statistics in terms of which have the biggest volume change floor change so you can like rank in a table and find stuff this way. And do you also go cross chain? Because for instance, on Tezos, there's still a lot of NFT stuff happening. And I think it's a little bit in the shadow of OpenSea, especially because they're not really integrated in OpenSea, but there's this one platform 
I forgot the name now. It's like generative art platform. And there, there are a lot of newcomers, sometimes even people that later then drop on art blocks that make their debut there. And once they go to art blocks, the stuff that they produced before blows up. And I think it's, you know, quite an interesting platform specifically because I personally also believe NFTs can be very cool, especially if they're art. For me, that, that use case of specifically generative art on the blockchain makes a lot of sense. I buy into that. I mean, I like generative art, but yeah, it's not a topic that I'm super deep in. I mainly focus on PFP collections just because they have often a lot of volume and stuff. But yeah, that's some nice alpha you just dropped, so you <laughs> can apparently identify mm. artists before they drop their collections on art blocks on these other platforms. Yeah, was not aware. No, because sometimes they use these platforms to test out their, their projects or just to, you know, play around. And another alpha or, or, or an insight I have regarding PFPs is the following. Nowadays, you know, if you want to grow your audience, Obviously, Twitter is the place to be for crypto, but there's also Instagram and there's TikTok and there's YouTube, and a lot of people don't want to show their face. True. So I think an interesting NFT project could be kind of masks mm -hmm. that then you get a file that you could use with these applications that put it over your face. Mm -hmm. So you can buy and own kind of like a digital mask mm -hmm. that you can use for could also be for live video, for video calls with people, but that is a little bit more high-tech, that is like 3D com compatible and would map on your face when, when you're talking. Yeah, I think I've seen this for like for CyberKong's VX, which are 3D models. Someone put the head of the monkey on, on his monkey. But yeah, it's that's like an interesting use case for video calls, for example. People just turn off their cam and just put up a picture, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a cool idea, especially for the crypto community, which is quite big on anonymity, pseudonymity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you nowadays in the CyberKongs community active? Yeah. Is there communities right now that are active that you are a part of? Yeah, it's mainly CyberKongs, to be honest. And yeah, I dabble in other communities from time to time, but CyberKongs is my forever home, probably. And <laughs> and if people want to follow you, where should they do it, Fulova? Just on Twitter, at Fulova. There is all the other info in my bio. Yeah, and it will also be in the show notes, of course. Thank you so much to come on to the show. Yeah, thank, thank you. It was fun talking to you. If you're still listening, chances are that you liked this episode. DeFi is not just me, it's also you, the listener. And each day, there are more listeners joining, and together we can spread the word about DeFi by giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Send this episode to a friend who might be interested. Check out the website, visit defire.money and click on subscribe to get the new episodes and in the future also blog posts directly into your inbox. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at defiremoney. All of this helps so we can continue to produce more episodes more frequently and get the most interesting guests that you deserve. Good night and see you soon. <laughs>